Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, Watch yourselves, or your hearts will be coarsened with debauchery and drunkenness and the cares of life. And that day will be sprung on you suddenly, like a trap. For it will come down on every living man on the face of the earth. Stay awake, praying at all times for the strength to survive all that is going to happen and to stand with confidence before the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Ave Maria. In the beginning, at least the first third of the 19th century, 19, in 1830, a young girl, just in her early 20s, entered the convent in Rudabak. She had joined the Daughters of Charity, an order founded by St. Vincent de Paul. Her name was Zoe Labore. Zoe had been, was, was the ninth of 11 children of her parents who were farmers and fairly well-to-do. At the age of nine, her mother died and Zoe, who was pious, stood on a little stool and picked up the statue of Our Lady, which was kept on the mantle, and said to her, from now on, you will be my mother. And she began at that early age of nine to cultivate an ever-growing love for the mother of Jesus, and of course, our own most gentle queen and mother. She was looked after by her aunt in Dijon, and 
Then she returned about the age of 16 to her father where she took over the chores of the household. She would go to mass every day, getting up from bed at four o'clock in the morning and walk into the church where she would devoutly attend mass. And of course, as we shouldn't be surprised, her devotion increased so that she felt that she herself was called to serve God in the religious life. Her father was not happy about it, who would look after the household. But she also cultivated a very practical spiritual life. It wasn't just a matter of attending mass and praying. She also made it a point of her spiritual life to visit and look after the sick. And on one occasion, she had a dream in which she saw an elderly priest saying mass very devoutly. And as she watched, she has felt as if she had seen this priest before. But she was certain, equally, she had never seen him before. And he turned to her and beckoned her, but she ran away. He said to her, you run away from me now, but one day you will come to me. As she decided finally, and with her father's agreement, to enter the convent. And so she went looking for the convent to which she had been called. And entering the parlor, she saw an image of that priest, of her dreams. And when she asked who he was, they were, she was told, this is St. Vincent de Paul, our founder, who had died some 200 years before. And so she knew she was in the right place. She entered the convent, and just a few days later, on the 18th of July, 1830, the vigil of the feast of St. Vincent de Paul, she was in bed, and the, the novices in those days slept in dormitories. So there were several of them sleeping in the dormitory when she heard the voice of a little child. Opening her eyes, she saw indeed there was a little child by her bed who said to her, get up and come to the chapel. The Blessed Virgin is waiting for you. And she said, but they will hear me. I will wake them up. And the child said, do not be afraid, they are fast asleep. And so getting up, she followed the child, who was about four or five years old, and was amazed that as he walked, the doors all opened and they went through. The child always walked on the left. She arrived in the chapel to find everything lit up as if a midnight mass. She went and she knelt at the foot of the altar. And then she heard someone approaching. She could hear a silk dress rustling. And as she looked up, she saw this beautiful lady of great majesty who came and who sat in the chair of the director. And Catherine, that was her religious name, her baptismal name was Zoe, her, her religious name was Catherine, she went and she rested her hands and her head in the lap of this beautiful woman. And there learned many things. 
namely what God required of her. The lady said to her, you are to come here and at the foot of the altar you will receive all of the graces that are necessary for the trials you will endure. Catherine, of course, told this, and she was instructed to, to her spiritual director, who, for the most part, did not believe it, and told her that she shouldn't really dwell on it. However, it was on the 27th of November, a Saturday, the vigil of the first Sunday of Advent. In other words, a day like today. Tomorrow is the first Sunday of Advent. It is Saturday, and it's also not the 27th, but the 26th of November. So we're one day out. So this happened 186 years ago today. It was close to midnight when again, the little voice of a child woke her up and again she was instructed to go to the chapel and she found it as before. But this time, the lady came and she ascended to the center of the altar and there Catherine had this vision. The lady was encased in a large oval she was majestically dressed with a veil that flowed all the way down from her head over her arms to her feet. And she had on her hands rings, three rings on each finger, the largest rings being closer to the knuckle, the smaller rings being on close to the nail, three rings. And each ring had a precious gem, a stone. And the lady opened her hands and out of these rings poured light of different colors. Not all of the rings though. Some of them gave no light at all. And then within that oval, the words were written, O Mary, conceive without sin, pray for us who have recourse today. At the bottom, the lady stood on a hemisphere. And then Catherine was given to understand that the rings which have light, which emit light, were all of the graces that Our Lady pours out on us. And the rings that did not give light are those graces we do not ask for. Then the image turned so Catherine could see the, ob the reverse, the obverse of the medallion. And there was a large M with a beam across it and a cross above. And be below each foot of the M was a heart one with a crown of thorns and the other was transfixed with a sword. 
meaning, of course, the crucifixion, Calvary. That Our Lady was at Calvary, that her son was crucified, and that their two hearts had been wounded. And this is the beginning of the miraculous medal. Because Catherine was told to have these, this medal minted and that there was a promise that grace would be given out to all those who needed it, all those who required it, all those who asked for it. Catherine, of course, in due course, told her spiritual director, who was even more skeptical and told her to speak no more about it. So for two years, nothing was done. However, by an allocution, Catherine was told that the lady was displeased that the spiritual director did nothing about it. And when Catherine told him this, he had the remorse of conscience and decided that he would begin to do as was required. So he went and spoke to the bishop and the first 2,000 of these medals were minted. It was given the title, the Medal of the Immaculate Conception. The moment they were minted and distributed, the most amazing miracles occurred. There were so many that people forgot its original name, the Medal of the, Immac of the Immaculate Conception. And it was commonly called, as we do today, the Miraculous Medal. Now among the, the miracles, we must include first and foremost, above all, those of conversion. But before I go to those, we'll talk about these, the miracles which occurred, which were physical. A particular lady, and these are all documented, religious, a pious lady, one day suffered from some terrible disease in her arm. First of all, she could not use the arm and there was incredible pain. In addition to which, there was swelling and there was an odor being emitted by the arm. So she had it for over a year in a sling, not even being able to move it. She prayed about it and eventually reached a stage where all she could do was offer it up to God. Her physicians, who knew the amount of pain she was in, who saw the condition of the arm, which was gradually um, uh, corrupted, recommended that she amputate it. And she refused. One day, someone gave her the miraculous medal and asked her to make a novena, which she did. On the ninth day of the novena, she went to confession. And even as the priest pronounced the words of absolution, she felt this tingling in her arm, and instantly, she was cured. She ran home, and she said, come and see the miracle, come and see the miracle. And there was nothing wrong with her arm. This is documented. 
the doctors could find no explanation how a cure could be so instantaneous. There was another of a woman who had an accident and in the accident she had broken her leg. Again, there was nothing that could be done. In fact, the, the, the fracture was so bad that the leg itself had shortened. Again, she was asked, she made a novena, and by the end of the novena, not only had the leg healed, but it had completely healed and lengthened. And the only pain she had was in the good leg because she had spent over a year in bed and the good leg, the uninjured leg, had of course weakened. Again, inexplicable. But more important are the miracles of conversion because it is our souls that we need to be primarily concerned with. And so there are two miracles in that regard that I'd like to, to speak about. The first was that of a soldier who had been wounded. As a soldier, he had not um, lived up to his Catholic faith. Being wounded, he was even more angry and when he was brought to the hospital where the Daughters of Charity ministered to him, not only was he angry, but he blasphemed, cursing God. There is no God, he said, because if there were, he would not treat me like this. What have I done that I should receive this kind of treatment? But then our Lord himself could say exactly the same thing. What had he done? that we sh he, should be treat he should receive the treatment that we gave him. The sisters could do nothing with him because he did not want to see a priest. He was, complete, he was continually blaspheming the moment he brought up religion. And so one of the sisters placed a miraculous medal in his pillow. And again, there were prayers for his conversion. And inexplicably, in fact, the doctors had done all that they could and they expected him to die at any moment. The sisters sent to the priest who came and again the priest tried to get to, to reason with him, but he'd have none of it. And so he dismissed the priest with some foul words. Yet, even as the ninth day of the Novena ended, Suddenly, inexplicably, he began to weep and he asked the sisters to bring back the priest, begging his forgiveness. The priest returned and he made his confession. He died two days later. But all of these miracles, and as I said, it received the name Miraculous Medal because of the thousands of miracles. In fact, in the first five years of the minting, something like 40 million medals were minted. And they were distributed right across the world, from Japan to America. And wherever it was, the miracles were evident, instantaneous. 
But the one miracle that proved the truth of the apparition, the one that was used for the Holy Seed, for the Pope to confirm it, was this. 1840s, so that's 10, in fact, 12 years after the apparition. There was a Jew by the name of Alphonse Ratisbon. He came from a very rich family. He was engaged to be married. He would become a director of his uncle's banking business. He was a Jew with a hatred for Christianity, and in particular, for the Catholic Church. He wasn't just a Jew who disliked Christianity. He hated it with a passion. However, before his wedding, he decided he would take a trip to the East, just go and visit the world. And so he set off. He was started in, from France, going down towards Italy. And he visited the various cities in Italy, making a distinct, um, having a distinct intention not to go to Rome, the center of Catholicism. Because as far as he can, was concerned, there was nothing good in Rome. And so he got on the train to Naples. Providence had other in, um, intentions. And the train ended up in Rome, or at least he caught the wrong train. And so arriving in Rome, he's very angry, especially as he couldn't leave immediately. So whilst in Rome, he decided he would visit a friend of his who was, as it happened, a Protestant. But they had been in school together, and they were good friends. So he called on his friend Gustav de, um, de Bussieres. However, Gustav was not there. And the servant who opened the door instead brought him to meet Gustav's brother. So, he, Gustav's brother was a Catholic. He was a convert from Protestantism. And so, Alphonse, because he was a gentleman, and so he courteously accepted the brother's Bussieri's um, invitation. And besides, he was in Rome and he was stuck there for a few days. He had nothing to do. And Bussieri's began to speak to him about religion, which annoyed him. But surprisingly, the Bussieri's didn't give in. They were gentlemen, and so they had to observe the common courtesies. However, in the conversation, Bussieri said to him, I understand that you are a Jew and that you have no love for the Catholic Church, but I offer you a challenge. And he took out a miraculous medal. He said, this can do you no harm, can it? The miraculous medal. So I challenge you to wear it for nine days. Alphonse thought it was ridiculous and tried to dismiss it. But Bucerius pushed and insisted. So he agreed. And then Bucerius said to him, well, one other thing. 
I want you to say a prayer. Oh Mary, conceive without sin. And he was, Alphonse was even more annoyed. But he agreed. And then Bucerus got his daughters to put the medal on a cord and to hang it around Alphonse's neck. And so for the next few days, they went out together. Um, the tensions were, there was a tension between them, but nonetheless, he persevered. They met a common friend, a count, um, foreigner, who himself had known the um, Ratisbon, at least Ratisbon, Alphonse's brother. And so he, the Count um, Ferronet, prayed for Alphonse's conversion, even to the point of offering his life. And then the day before Alphonse was able to leave Rome, Ferronet died. So, um, Boussieres picked up, met Alphonse, and they went to make arrangements for the funeral. The church that they went to is St. Andrea, Andrea dei Frati in Rome, close to the Spanish steps, a nondescript church, nothing striking about it compared with other Roman churches. And so when Boussieres went into the sacristy, to make the arrangements, he left Antoine in the church, who was looking around. It must have been about five or ten minutes. When Boussieres came out, he found Alphonse, not at the main altar where he left him, but in a side chapel, the chapel of St. Michael, and he was there on his knees, weeping. It turns out, that whilst Bussieres was making arrangements, suddenly the whole church vanished and there was only light coming out of this particular spot, the little chapel. And when Alphos went to see what it was, there he saw our Blessed Lady, the Immaculate Conception. Her hands opened and light streaming from her fingers. His conversion was instantaneous. In a single moment, he saw his whole life, he saw everything he had done, and more important, he saw what God required of him. God required him to go to heaven, as God wants all of us to go to heaven. That is our destiny, that's why we were created to know him, love him, serve him in this world, so as to be happy forever with him in the next. That's why we were created, all of us. And he saw that and understood that. His conversion was instantaneous. Everyone who knew him knew how much he hated Christianity and how much he despised and hated the Catholic Church above all. And yet, in less than one hour, he was a total and absolute convert. He asked for baptism, was baptized, and then he was ordained a priest. He joined the Jesuits, 
And then he left the Jesuits to found his own congregation, the Fathers of Zion, with the mission of converting the Jews. He went to live in the Holy Land and began his work, his apostolate there. The miraculous medal. This miracle, the conversion of Alphonse Ratisbonne, on January the 20th, 1842, was the one miracle that confirmed what Our Lady had told Catherine Nabore, that she is the mother of all graces, mother of divine graces. We still have the miraculous medal today. Its power is not diminished. Our love is much colder. But 186 years today, our most blessed lady gave us this token of her love, a sign of her protection, a promise that all those who recourse to her will have her protection, her intercession, and above all, her love. The church recognizes the power of the miraculous medal. So much so that it is one of the three sacramentals that has its, had, well has, its own mass and office. That's how important the feast was. So the rosary has its own mass and office in the traditional rite. The brown scapula has its own mass and office in the traditional rite, and the miraculous medal. These three sacramentals of Our Lady, and these three, Our Lady promised us our protection in all three of them. We should then use these instruments that are given to us for our eternal salvation but also for the temple graces and benefits that she offers as tokens, as signs of her maternal love for us. 186 years today, what a coincidence. Let us then ask Mary, our most gentle queen and mother, to intercede for us to pray for us, to defend us, and above all, to be the light, the star that leads us to heaven in the midst of this valley of tears. Ave Maria. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, eternal Son of God, you have given us your own mother, Mary, to be our mother also. With confidence we come to you asking for the needs of our world, our families, and ourselves. We pray first and foremost for our Holy Father, the Pope. We pray for Francis, that he might be faithful to the task given to him, the task of delivering the truth, the eternal truths. 
in season, out of season, in all its purity for the salvation of souls. Lord, hear us. Let us pray for the College of Bishops, that they, united with the Pope, might preach the Catholic faith, the faith of one ark of salvation, the faith entrusted by Christ to his apostles for the salvation of souls. Lord, hear us. We pray for the cardinals, especially those who have publicly defended the church, who have publicly defended the faith, who have publicly announced themselves on the side of truth, that the Lord will strengthen them, and that the truth might shine brightly for their own sanctification and for the salvation of souls. Lord, hear us. Let us pray for ourselves, that we might be faithful to our baptismal promises, that we might embrace the one true faith and proclaim it by the way we live, by what we do, by what we say, for our own salvation and for the salvation of souls. Lord, hear us. Let us pray for those who do not believe, We pray especially for those who have a hatred of Christ and of his church. We ask the Lord to hear the whole prayers that they may be joined with that of Mary, our mother, and that all those who are in need, especially this day, might be converted for the salvation of their souls. Lord, hear us. We pray for all those who preach the gospel in season, out of season, welcome and welcome. We pray that the reward which Christ has promised, the salvation of their souls might truly be theirs. Lord, hear us. We pray for the sick, the elderly. We pray especially for those who will die this day. We pray that Mary the matrix of all graces will stand by their bedside for the salvation of their souls. Lord, hear us. And let us pray for the dead, especially the recently dead, those who have no one to pray for them, those who are in the greatest need, that through our prayers they might happily be joined to the eternal banquet. Lord, hear us. We pray also for our own needs, especially at this time. We pray also for the members of our family who have special needs and concerns. Lord, hear us. And confident always of the intercession of Mary, our mother, we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sins. Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator with the Father, who has been pleased to appoint the most blessed Virgin, your mother, to be our mother also, and our mediatrix with you, mercifully grant that whosoever comes to you seeking your favors, may rejoice to receive 
all of them through her. Amen. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Thank you.